Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. We have a, a special guest with us this morning. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, we uh, knew well and loved, and we still do, uh, Taylor Webster. I mean, as soon as I started saying that, it sounded like we didn't know her well and love her anymore. Uh, but Taylor Webster is here uh, for a couple of years. She's been working with the Christian Appalachian Project uh, in Kentucky, and we sent her off a couple of years ago, and now she is uh, venturing into going to seminary uh, and um, to pursue vocational ministry and a life in ministry and education for that. And uh, we have an opportunity to partner with her, and she is here to explain that and uh, give us some details on that. So can we welcome Taylor Webster? Wow. Good morning, church. Um, It is wonderful to see you all again and to see so many of y'all who I don't know. And I say y'all now. Um, I'm from Kentucky again, so that's going to happen all the time. Andy invited me to come and share a little bit of stories with you, and he said, I'd love for you to talk about where you've been, where you're going, how you're connected to Emmaus, and you've got eight minutes. So we'll see how that goes. I'm a storyteller. But for those of you that I don't know, uh, which is beautiful, see so many new faces in the last couple years, my name's Taylor. Uh, I wandered in off the street. I wasn't living on the street, but that's how I found this place uh, in January of 2011. And I was beyond disenchanted with the church at that point. But Andy was working through a series at that time called New Through 30. Raise your hand if you remember that. Six people. Yes. All right. He was like, we're going to read the whole New Testament together in 30 days. I was like, this is a place where they're inviting people to do something, to be a part of something together. And that's that's what got me interested. And that's part of why I stayed. I was baptized here a year later and began to become more involved in the liturgy and the leadership and the life of the church. It's beautiful to see these lights up here. Um, those of you who remember the leadership meetings where we had long conversations about how fluorescent lighting kills your soul, it's great to see that. Um, I, in, in college, I came to Fort Collins for college, Colorado State. I was studying theatrical design and production, so I cared a lot about lighting and scenery and the environment, good stories well told in beautiful environments. And right before I graduated, which was about the time I got baptized, this calling towards pastoral uh, ministry emerged, which was terrifying because I was very well set to go to grad school, become a scenic designer, all of those fancy kind of things. And the invitation from God was to keep telling those stories well, to keep creating beautiful environments, but to do it in service of the local church. So I had the opportunity to become more involved in leadership here. I was a guest preacher here for the summer before I left, which was an amazing opportunity. So that's one story. The other story is called Kentucky. And in, also in 2011, big year, I spent the summer working at a summer camp uh, in eastern Kentucky, which is a rural, very poor, underserved part of the country, isolated, once again, overwhelmed, underqualified, sustained by grace, fell in love with another set of mountains, and was feeling a similar call to return back to that region. So I took the carpentry skills I picked up in the theater, the ministry skills I picked up in the church, and two years ago went out and started doing full-time volunteer service with the Christian Appalachian Project, which is an interdenominational human service organization that focuses on community and spirituality and service and what it means to live an integrated life of all of those things. I have so many stories um, from that time. So if you're interested in that, come find me after the service or sometime in the next couple weeks and we can talk Kentucky. Um, I was serving with the elderly housing program. So it was a lot of work with wheelchair ramps, accessibility, allowing the elderly to stay in their homes for as long as possible which is a really big deal when you've been in the same house for 90 years and all you want is to, you know, continue living the rest of your life there. Um, But in being there, I learned a lot about what it meant not just to be serving, but to be served by the people that we were partnering with in service, the times where they would pray for us at the end of the day, where they would welcome us into their homes, where they would feed us and take care of us and all of those things, is where you learn a lot about the fact that ministry doesn't just go one way. Um, It never 
never goes one way. The invitation from God is always to step into something together. I also had the opportunity to live in community. I had probably 18 housemates in the last two years, ranging from people who stayed for three weeks to people who we were together all two years. And if you're wondering what intentional community is like, um, imagine being married, which I know makes sense to a lot of you, and then you're married to eight people, and then you didn't choose any of them. Um, (laughs) So if that's not an incubator for learning what it's like to... um, you know, make respectful decisions together. I don't know what is, but what I loved about it was that it it was an ecumenical community. So my housemates were Catholic and Southern Baptist and Methodist and whatever I am, um, (laughs) Wesleyan mutts, um, (laughs) and just the opportunity to see God working in all of those different ways and to see how beautiful it was for us to be able to build something together. That's page one. Y'all are very gracious. So that's the last five years. The next four years, I'm starting school at Asbury Seminary in the fall, which if you are a Wesleyan by trade or Nazarene or Methodist or what have you, it's a school with Wesleyan roots that's committed to interdenominational students. So there's Presbyterians there and some Southern Baptists. I don't know how they found their way in, but they're there. (laughs) I love the Southern Baptists. They're, they're beautiful people. Um, but it's, it's for me an, an integration of the work that I was doing when I was in Fort Collins, the love for service and for Eastern Kentucky and for the rural, poor, underserved, beautiful communities. What I love about Asbury is that it's a place that emphasizes prayer and community formation as much as it emphasizes academics. So it's not just that you get in and you learn your Greek and you read all of the John Wesley that there is to read, but you also, what's great about seminary is it's a time to do that in community with other people. And that brings me to the scholarship opportunity that I have through Asbury Seminary, which is a full tuition scholarship, which is very exciting. Um, and what's exciting about this scholarship is that half of the scholarship is funded by the seminary and, you know, all of the resources that they have, but the other half of it, they ask us to go out and find partners who are willing to financially support us on that journey. What's exciting about that for me, also terrifying, is that when I wandered in here five years ago, I was very convinced that I didn't need other people to be able to follow God, serve God, love God, that I could do that, just me and Jesus, and it would be great. Um, And through the last five years, through serving here, through being married to 18 people, um, it's not as weird as that, just made it sound, but (laughs) through all of those experiences, what God always calls me back into is community through journeying through things together. Um, And so this scholarship is an invitation to find partners along that journey, specifically in regards to funds. what I'm looking for is monthly support at a level of like 25 to $45 a month. But what's exciting about it as well is that it, however, however you feel called to give or whatever it is that makes sense to you, if you've got $5 in your pocket right now, um, you should probably do something else with that. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, there's, there's a wide range of options, and all of the giving goes directly to the seminary, to the scholarship fund, so it's not like a, I don't know, my dad gave me a pep talk this morning about it's not a pot of cash that you take off and do whatever you want with. I'm like, no, dad, it all goes right to the school. Um, so it's, but it's an opportunity to continue serving together, to be regularly praying for each other, um, to be strengthened and encouraged by the presence of this faith community, which I still call my home church. Um, after two years in the mountains, I still get homesick for this place every Sunday. Um, So I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be with you. I'll be here for the next couple weeks. If you have any questions, uh, comments, concerns, I guess, would be fine too. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm thankful for the opportunity to be with you. And if financial partnership support is something you're interested in, want talked about, um, come find me after the service. Thank you all so much. Great. Stay here. Um, 
so what we're hoping is just that we wanted to make you aware of the opportunity and then just uh, really depending on God and trusting God uh, for provision in your life, uh, knowing that he may call many of you or some of you and, uh, and other people or none of you. <laughs> uh, but I want to pray for you and uh, for your next venture. We're excited to have you with us the next couple of weeks. She'll be uh, playing the banjo in the worship team, I believe. And so, yeah, we're excited about that. So, uh, but anyway, let me pray for you. And uh, then right after that, we'll go into our greeting time. So if the Lord has laid something on your heart, now is a great time to tell Taylor about that uh, so it doesn't sneak away. So uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for Taylor, for your call on her life. And Uh, just the ways in which you have been uh, leading her to this place and stirring in her heart uh, to where now, God, we have the opportunity to partner with her. And so we just pray, uh, God, that your Holy Spirit would be freely at work in this place, uh, uh, drawing partners in prayer, drawing financial partners, um, and that, Lord, whatever level you've called us to partner with Taylor, that we would be obedient to that. That's, That's all that we ask is... Uh, And that's all that we want is to be obedient to you and your leading. Um, And so, God, uh, we pray that we would respond in obedience. Uh, And then also, God, uh, we just pray for provision in Taylor's life as she goes into this new venture. And we pray also, God, for your blessing and your anointing over her uh, as she steps into this next season at Asbury Seminary. So uh, thank you, God, that uh, we get to be her home church and uh, love her and support her. Uh, We're thankful for it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Scott Allen, and uh, uh, my family and I have been covenant partners here since uh, last year. Um, We moved to Fort Collins, moved the family here in 2012. I was in the Air Force uh, for over 20 years uh, before that, and most recently we were stationed in Colorado Springs. And during uh, our Air Force service, I deployed a number of times to Saudi Arabia as a, a lieutenant and back to the Middle East to Iraq for a year. Um, uh, toward the end of my career, and uh, for Bosnia as a linguist, and to West Africa for contingency operations, and lots of other assignments stateside and and overseas in the middle. But um, we're glad to be in Fort Collins. When we came here, I took a job with CSU, uh, and am now focused on international research. This moment is a very special time for our family. Um, My loving and persevering wife And I celebrated this past week 24 years of marriage. And next week, on Wednesday, we take our idealistic and conscientious daughter, Alyssa, to Albuquerque, New Mexico, to begin her new college adventure. And our inquisitive and and always thinking uh, 12-year-old son uh, starts seventh grade the week after that and uh, cross-country. So it's uh, it's a big moment of of transition and a very special moment for for our family. There's so much that I am am grateful for. And one um, thing today is that uh, Andy and the church leadership asked me to uh, read a scripture passage uh, here. But before I do, I'd like to share... Uh, one of the ways that I'm involved at Emmaus, and that is through our impact or compassionate uh, ministries. And so Emmaus has had a long tradition of being involved in both local ministry and, and worldwide through the developing world. We just heard about a new opportunity. Um, but we've been involved, for example, in Renee's Hope, Faith Promise, uh, Advent Conspiracy. And uh, something that we started new just this past year is a partnership with a local school. So Riffenberg Elementary, just around the corner here on, on Stewart, uh, where we are tutoring second graders every uh, once a week. You know, one of us uh, shows up there. Um, and we are planning an event on CSU campus, uh, Amanda, for the 7th of September, Wednesday, right? Yep, midday. And uh, we invite one and all, to get involved uh, in our planning group. Our, we meet about monthly, and the next meeting is actually tomorrow night here at the church at 7 o'clock. You're invited. Or you're invited to get involved in some of the activities that we're, that we're doing. Uh, and so if you would be um, interested, if you're called in that direction, um, you know, please talk to me or uh, another member of the group. Or the, if you want to get involved in another ministry, you know, ask. There's lots of opportunities. Or you can fill that out on your uh, connections card and drop that in the offering plate when it comes by later in the service. Um, So this morning, I'm going to read Mark chapter 7, the 14th verse through 23. 
Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone. It just rotated. Uh, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Thanks be to God. That's right. Thank you. And thank you, Scott. And I want to welcome you again to uh, to this morning's service. Uh, If this is your very first time, we especially want to say welcome to you. Uh, We are so glad that you're here. Um, We have a gift for you, uh, which is this book. If you'll take one of these uh, on your way out, they're located on the side table here in our sanctuary or uh, out in the foyer. But uh, we hope that you'll read this and it'll be a blessing to you. Uh, The second thing we hope that you'll do if this is your very first time with us is uh, that you'll take a moment to fill out our connection card, uh, which is um, right here on the left side of your bulletin that you should have received on your way in. So anybody here for the first time, we hope you'll fill that out. If you have any communication that you want to send to us as a church, uh, maybe a prayer request, or it could be something else, uh, or signing up uh, for anything, this is your uh, point of connection and communication. So we hope that you'll fill that out uh, for us. I want to share just a couple of announcements before we jump into this morning's message, looking at Mark chapter 7. The first one is, uh, yesterday we gathered together for another workday on our play area. We are very, very close, and uh, we hope to, uh, we're going to have another workday uh, this Saturday, uh, August 20th. We hope to finish it up. Um, if not uh, by next Sunday, then certainly by the 28th. So we are very, very close to getting that uh, finished up. If you are an early riser, feel free to show up at 7 a.m. We will have someone here to put you to work that early. Uh, that is the best part and coolest part of the day to work. Uh, if you're like, hey, it's a Saturday morning and not so much 7 a.m., you can come at 9 or any time uh, during the morning. We'll, be have, uh, we'll have a group there uh, doing some work. So we do, want you to, you, we do want you to let us know if you plan to attend. That way we can have a, a scope of work and mind and and just make sure that we are ready for you uh, to be able to put you to work. But uh, thank you so much to everyone who has helped out throughout this whole process. We look forward to really celebrating the completion of our eKids play area very, very soon. uh, And we're excited about that. Um, the second thing I wanted to mention is our family resource event, which is happening next Sunday. So it is already here and upon us, uh, which is called Nutrition for Busy Families. So Kaylin Hamilton, uh, covenant partner here and registered dietitian nutritionist, will be presenting ideas uh, for how to eat healthy uh, despite busy schedules. This is open to anyone. It's kind of geared toward parents and families, but it's open to anyone. Uh, for $10, you get a meal and childcare provided for you. Uh, so we hope that uh, you will plan to attend. However, registration is required for this event. So you can register by marking it on your connection card. Uh, let, make sure you let us know how many kiddos need child care. Uh, or you can uh, go online and register there and we'll get it. Uh, for those of you that might be following along with the service using the Bible app by Uversion and the live event, uh, there's actually a registration link right on there. You could fill it out uh, during a slow part of the sermon. <laughs> so... Um, we hope that you'll do that, all right? So uh, let's, get, uh, let's say a word of prayer and then get into this morning's message. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us uh, this morning, for, the, for your presence uh, that we feel and uh, is made so tangible to us. God, thank you for meeting us in this place. Uh, we just pray now that as we open up your word and as we seek to understand it, uh, that you would help us, God, uh, to change as we've been looking at principles of change. Um, Lord, we want to make good, God-honoring changes in our life. And, uh, but we need your Holy Spirit to work in us. So uh, would you help us, Lord, to have our hearts transformed today uh, as a result of gathering together? We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, as, well, as I mentioned, uh, last week we began a brand new series called Principles of Change. 
um, we are trying to go uh, at least one step or two deeper than uh, just uh, self-help, uh, self-improvement kinds of things. Uh, but we're really talking about what are the personal changes uh, that you need to make in your life and how do you go about that? How do you partner with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to make good and godly changes? Uh, it's really a series meant to help you close the gap between who Scripture says you are in Christ and your daily experience. Uh, You may have experienced that gap before where you read uh, the Apostle Paul who says you are now a new creation in Jesus Christ and you still struggle with the same old stuff. Uh, And you wonder, what is the gap all about? This series is really meant to help you close that gap. Uh, It's also organized around a series of questions. So every week we'll be looking at a new question uh, that will help us in the process of change. Last week we looked at the question, why do you want to change? Uh, why do you want to change? Uh, now, of course, that's the, there's a precursor even to that question, is, which is what do you want to change? Uh, but I figured if, if your life is anything like mine, the list of what you want to change might be pretty long. And so we didn't spend a lot of time there. Uh, but after deciding what is, it about that we, what is it about ourselves, it might be a sinful uh, habit, it might be an attitude, it might be a particular perspective, whatever it is, uh, what do I want to change? Uh, and then we, last week we explored why do you want to change? Uh, our motivation to change is often uh, to impress or to prove ourselves to God or to others. Uh, but we said this is really problematic because it, it means that I am changing for my own glory. I'm changing so that I can uh, be impressive to other people or I can be acceptable to God. And at the end of the day, that's really just about building me up and it's for my own glory. And so what we talked about is our motivation to change must be to glorify God with our lives and to live more fully into our identity in Christ and to, to live more fully into our identity in Christ. I want to remind you just about a couple of resources that we have for this series and for every series for that matter, uh, which is um, we, we have this notes uh, insert in your bulletin that you can follow along with each message. Uh, but what you maybe didn't know is that this, uh, this piece of paper, along with our life group discussion questions, are made available to you every single week in our newsletter. So if you missed a sermon and you want to see the insert or the discussion questions, or if a sermon was particularly helpful and you want to go back uh, to these notes, those are available to you every single week uh, as a link in our newsletter. So we hope that you'll take advantage of those uh, and those resources. What we want to do this week is we want to look at the question, how do we change? If we've talked about what we want to change and we've talked about why we want to change, then I think the next logical question is, how in the world then are we going to to actually change? Um, Let's get to the real meat of the thing here. If I want to change, I want to see immediate results, right? Because we live in a microwave culture. So it's like, hey, I ought to just be able to stick this thing in there and 30 seconds later have my life just as I want it to be. Uh, and so, so you guys are kind of wondering what in the world, when are we going to get to the real meat of this thing about how we change? Uh, well, uh, there are some possibilities that we might be tempted to believe. We might think that number one, uh, in order to change, you need to simply believe, uh, or think the right things. Uh, You might be tempted to think that the real meat, the real heart of the change is that I need to believe the right thing, I need to think the right thing. Now certainly right thinking and right belief are important and they are certainly part of the change process. I believe a lot of what we do comes out of what we actually believe. Uh, but But right belief and correct thinking are not enough for us to just really change our lives. You can have all the best theology in the world, you can have all the information in the world, and you still, it is possible to be stuck in a rut in our lives. Uh, Author James K.A. Smith says this, you can't think your way into holiness. If you could, then a PhD would be the path to sainthood. And it is not, right? And I think that's really important for us because uh, let's just be honest about this city. This is a smart city. You all are smart people. Uh, right? We live in a, we live in a uh, college town, highly educated environment. Uh, we live in a, very, in a place that values, uh, well, it values intellectual prowess. Um, and that's a good thing. But we shouldn't be tempted to believe that only right thinking is what's going to change us. Because we can't think our way into holiness. The second thing we might be tempted to think is of how we're going to change is we just need to declare uh, our commitment to change. 
Uh, maybe we just need to double down our commitment. That this time I'm actually going to do it. Maybe it's a, it's a writing down, a, a vow to never do that again. I'm never going to lust again. I'm never going to have that negative attitude again. I'm never, ever, ever. And you write a vow and you promise to God. And then that lasts about 45 minutes and that's good. Uh, and that was a great 45 minutes. Or maybe we just need to double down on our promise to God to not give in to that temptation again. Uh, but a lot of times we, we think, I just need to think the right thing. I need to double down on my commitment. The other thing we might be tempted to think is uh, that we can change just through determined moral effort. Like if I just have an I can do this mindset, I'm going to tackle that sin, that emotion, that attitude, I'm going to take it down, that sin ain't got nothing on me kind of attitude, just unrestrained, determined, moral effort. Uh, And a lot of times we think perhaps what we lack when we are unable to change is in fact simply determination. Maybe the only thing I lack in this struggle to change is determination. Um, I would be willing to bet that you have tried all of these to one degree or another in, in whatever it is in your life that you have tried to change. You probably have thought, I need to think uh, or believe the right thing. You, you probably have said, I just need, to, uh, I just need to, to recommit myself to this, just double down on commitment. Or maybe you've thought, the real, I, just, I lack the determination and the moral effort to actually do this. Um, so just as you have probably done all of these to some degree or another, I would also be willing to bet that you've had very mixed success. And and the reason is because the way to true change is through the heart. The way to true change, authentic change, lasting change is through the heart. And this is actually the whole point of the passage that Scott read. The the whole point of Jesus' parable in Mark chapter 7 is he's trying to get across to us that that what makes us unclean is not, in fact, what goes uh, into our body, uh, but it's rather what's already inside of our body finding its way out through the heart. And so anytime when we look at Scripture and we see the word heart, we should not think the organ that pumps blood through our body. We should rather see it as the, as the center of our, our passions, our emotion, our desires, our loves. Because that's, in ancient culture, when they talked about the heart, that's what they were talking about. They weren't talking about the bodily organ that we often talk about. But they're talking about that, that deep, deepest part of who you are. And what Jesus says is that whatever comes out finds as its, as its root that deepest part of who we are. And so if we want to change what is coming out, we have, we have a, a behavior we want to change, an attitude, an emotion we want to change. What we need to change then is our heart. Um, because what we do comes from the heart. Consider this story. There once was a peasant man uh, who gave a bundle of carrots, just a humble bundle of carrots, to the king. But he gave these carrots as a demonstration of his love for the king. Now the king returned his love uh, by giving him an acre of land to garden. Now a bystander saw this and the next day decided that he was going to one-up the peasant man. He had more resources uh, available to him and so he decided that he was going to give the king an even more impressive gift. He was going to give the king a horse. And so he in fact did. The very next day, uh, this, this man with far more resources went to the king and he gave the king a horse, to which the king simply said, thank you. Now, of course, the man was furious when he wasn't given anything in return. And so when he questioned the king, when he approached the king and asked him, why did you not give me anything in return for my, uh, for my gift of luxury to you? The king replied, you didn't give this horse to me. You gave it to yourself. You only gave it to me hoping that I would give you something in return. See, what the king was able to do was discern the man's heart. And, and it, what the whole point, again, of, Ma, of Mark chapter 7 is that our actions are an overflow of the heart, this deepest part of us. And so it, then, if we are going to change, our hearts must change. 
And as I've already mentioned, anytime the scripture talks about the heart, it's talking about uh, the deepest part of who we are, the center of our passions, our inclinations, our habits, and our loves. What this ultimately means is this, that both God and sin are appealing to our hearts. I would be willing to bet that temptation has never come to you in the form of intellectual argument. But temptation comes to you as an appeal to your heart. But think about this. What if temptation were to come to you and say, I think that you should really do this because of the negative effect it will have on your relationships. That's the intellectual argument, right? To which we would know right away, oh, I would never do that. I'm way too smart to do that. But sin is not appealing to our minds, and God is not really necessarily appealing to our intellects, but rather to our hearts. And so sin appeals to our heart and invites you to a dinner that promises to satisfy. And the dinner is filled with things like lust and addiction and greed. And it says, if you will taste this greed, I promise that the next purchase will make you happy. If you feast on addiction, I promise that the pain will be gone. If you make a meal of lust, it will promise that the images will chase away the loneliness or replace the missing touches of your spouse. But, but church, I want you to hear today that anytime that sin is appealing to your heart and it is promising a dinner that satisfies, I promise you that ultimately this is only a dinner of candy. While it may taste good at first, it is empty calories and it leaves you hungry. But the good news is, is that sin and temptation and the enemy are not the only thing appealing to our hearts. In fact, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7 that there is a war for our hearts. Now, hear me, I'm not saying that the mind doesn't matter, the intellect is not important, but the real, the real root of who we are is found in the heart, and so our hearts must change. Our hearts must be given over to something. And sin says, give your heart over to me. But God is also appealing to our hearts. And he's also inviting us to a dinner that promises to satisfy. And at this table is a diet of love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, healing, reconciliation, and renewal. For at this table, is a world where all things are being made new and is the redemption of all things. In fact, I want you to listen to the invitation to the seat at God's table. It's found in Isaiah chapter 55, the first two verses. It says this, it says, Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy, but rather listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. You see, the way to change in our lives is not through right thinking. As, as tempting as it may be to say that, and I, want you, I don't want you to mishear me today. I do think that right thinking and right belief is important. But that alone cannot change us. And so the way to change is not right thinking. It is not moral effort. It is not rule keeping. But rather it is a change in the heart. Now, this becomes problematic because a lot of our methods of trying to change, a lot of our methods of self-improvement are, in fact, just rule-keeping. Uh, they, are, they are a list of rules, and if you will do these, uh, then, then you will sort of stay inside the boundaries, and eventually your life will change. The, the, the problem is, is if those rules don't come with a high enough consequence, we tend to break them. Or if those rules do come with a high enough consequence that we stay inside of them, the second that you take them away, we, we, we wander outside of those lines because nothing has really changed in us. And so I, I believe that you hear me that what I'm trying to say is that uh, just as what comes, just as Jesus says that what we do comes from the inside, so our change must also come from the inside out. 
Uh, but there's, a, there's an interesting sort of symbiotic relationship between what is outside and what is inside, right? Because what is outside is a reflection of what is inside, uh, but what, out, what is outside also has, has a way of informing and shaping our hearts as well. And so if we are really not going to change uh, at all without changing our hearts, this poses another critical question. How then do we change our hearts, right? How do our hearts really change? Now again, the temptation might be to say the right information or more information. But I want to be clear this morning, the heart does not deal in information, This is why you can get lots and lots of new information and not really change. In in fact, I would be willing to say that uh, some of you wanting to change something have gone out and you've gotten all the information you can, but maybe that has helped and maybe it's taken the edge off, maybe it's uh, helped for a season, uh, but if your heart doesn't truly change, uh, then all the information in the world can't really change you. And that's because the heart doesn't deal with information. The heart deals with loves, and the heart deals in desires. What is revealed in your heart is what you love and what you desire. It is not necessarily what you think. And so the message that I want to share with you today, and I want to give you uh, some, some illustrations and some ideas on how to really practice this, but the heart is changed and shaped through the power of habit. Through the power of habit. Um, because we act out of our heart, each time we act a certain way, we either reinforce or challenge the heart's desire. Uh, and so let's, let's uh, understand it in this way. Right now, your heart has a fundamental love. Your heart is fundamentally oriented towards something or someone. And that is being expressed in the way in which you live. Now that can either be properly ordered toward God, or it can be misordered or disordered. If you have a a, a disordered heart, then that is going to express itself in all sorts of ways in our life. That what we really desire is Uh, comfort of some kind. What we really desire is popularity or uh, to uh, feel loved or all of these kinds of things. Now, a lot of times they are healthy desires, but if they're being met in unhealthy ways, then that is, it is a disordered heart. And so the real aim is to, the, the, the real goal is to shape or aim our hearts toward proper heart forming, through proper heart forming habits. Does that make any sense today? It will, I hope. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, Like many of you, I have a Starbucks habit. Um, And that can be, uh, habit is a bit of a a soft term. (laughs) Perhaps addiction is more accurate. So like many of you, I have a Starbucks habit. I have triggers in my brain that tells, tells me that it is time for a white mocha at 10.30 and 2 p.m. every day. Now, some of you are like, two lattes a day? Shoot. Oh, don't look at me with those judgmental eyes. Okay. So, so that's when the, I didn't say I had two lattes a day. I said that's when the triggers go off every single day. 10.30, oh man, a white mocha would be like, just totally hit the spot. And then 2 p.m., whoa, man, that white mocha sounds so good. So if I could, if I can hold off on the 10.30 a.m. craving, I will most certainly crash at the 2 p.m. craving. If I can just embrace the, the craving at 1030 then, and, and, and have the white mocha, then I can usually hold off on the 2, p.m., uh, the 2 p.m. craving unless I have a meeting scheduled at Starbucks at 2 p.m. Uh, so if you need a meeting with me this week, 2 p.m. is looking very good. Um, so, uh, but, but almost daily, I was going for this nice sugary milk drink with a splash of coffee. Let's be honest about white mochas from Starbucks. These are not coffee drinks. These are sugar drinks. Uh, these are milky sugar drinks, okay? Can we all be honest about that? Um, I have n- I'm not a coffee buff, uh, but people who are, I had, I had a coffee, um, should I call them buff or snob? I had a coffee snob tell me once um, that, that Starbucks is not a coffee shop, it's a sugar shop. Um, so which I was like, no, no, no. And then now I've come to see the light. Okay. So, 
so that's what it is. Now, so, so I had this Starbucks habit. But then I started having all these digestive issues, uh, which Starbucks wasn't necessarily causing, but it wasn't necessarily helping. And I will spare you the details of the digestive issues. Uh, but one of the keys from my dietitian nutritionist um, was to drastically reduce processed sugars in my diet, uh, which meant that I needed to do something about this Starbucks habit. And I needed to do something about these like 10.30 a.m. and 2 p.m. cravings. Like um, this, was, this was not good. And so it meant far fewer white mochas. And as much as I would like to believe that they are natural, they are not. Um, I, wish, I wish there was a tree somewhere in the world which perfectly blended white mochas and Starbucks cups grew. And then you could pick them, harvest them, ship them cold to my door, and I could say I was eating natural. That is not true. Uh, but I am, I am still holding out faith that it will be true in God's new world. So... Um, so I can handle that. So I've got a problem, right? I've got this, I've got this Starbucks habit problem. I've got these cravings. Now let's, let's understand cravings as my heart's desire. So I've got this, this tick, this, this, this habit that shows that my heart is truly desiring a white mocha and it's coming to me twice a day, but I can't do that if I want to heal all of my digestive issues. So I have a problem and how am I going to work it out. I can work it out in one of two ways. Option number one, keep going to Starbucks, uh, but endeavor to do something, to drink something that isn't so sweet uh, and laced with sugar, like an unsweet iced green tea, which is not too far from just drinking the earth, right? (laughs) Like green tea iced is not quite as dirt tasting as green tea Hot. I was like, one time I was like, hey, I'll try a hot green tea. It was, it was like drinking the earth. Um, so, uh, so if that sounds good to you, then hey, green tea is for you. Awesome. So I could try to make that choice. I could go in. So, so here it is. Uh, understand this. Here's, okay, my heart desires this white, sugary, milky drink. I'm going to go into the place where I get that but then just do endeavor with through moral effort to order something else. That's option number one. Now you can imagine though that all of the smells and all of the sounds and, and, and just the environment, the ambiance of, of Starbucks for me tastes like a white mocha. So it's very, very hard to go into that and not get a white mocha. Are you with me? So the first thing I could do is just try to, through moral effort, I could do that. Or option number two is I could challenge my heart's desire and not go to Starbucks at all. But instead, at 10.30 a.m. and at 2 p.m., when that thing clicks over and my heart says, this is the time for your white mocha, I could not go to Starbucks and instead eat almonds and drink water. This is not nearly as much fun, but this is better. Would you agree? I thought for sure I'd get one. Thank you. Now what is happening is every time that I say no to the white mocha at 1030 and I say yes to the almonds and water, what is happening is my heart My heart's desire is challenged in that moment. But it's not just challenged, it's also in a very small way shaped. That is to say this, that each and every time that I can effectively challenge my heart's desire, my heart is, is the the thing that I desire is actually changing. So if I have the almonds and the water enough, my overwhelming desire for a white mocha at 10.30 will actually go away. It's actually shaped. My heart's desire is actually changed through the power of properly aimed habits. What I'm trying to get across to you is that the little things that you do every day matter. Those, those little bitty things that you participate in each and every day are actually shaping and changing your heart. 
So if we know that we won't change unless our heart changes, then how do we change our heart? We change our hearts through the practice of properly aimed habits. Let me bring this home. Now, so you're asking the question, what does Starbucks and my digestive issues have to do with what we're talking about? Let me get to that. Because some of you are like, that was a great story, but... Um, so here, here's what I want to say to you. In order to change, we need to participate in rhythms and rituals that aim your heart toward proper loves. In order for our hearts to change, we need to practice rhythms and rituals that aim your heart toward proper loves. Let me give you some examples. Church worship is a really great ritual and practice. Because did you know that on Sunday mornings we have planned for you to be here? Like, we did not show up this morning at 9.30 and say, what songs should we sing? I need to write a sermon real fast. Uh, that what we do, we do with intention. Uh, in, in fact, what we're doing every single Sunday morning is we're retelling the narrative of the gospel story. And we're doing that through song, through sermon, and through communion. Which means, particularly if we take into effect that information doesn't change us, that means that the sermon isn't, of, isn't nearly as valuable unless it's placed with communion. It's the sermon with communion and with music and with the community that makes any of this powerful. Which is why podcast is not a good way to do church. Because you get some, but you don't get everything. Now, we podcast every single week because I don't want you to miss it. If you're gone, I want you to have this available to you. But it's not the same as having the sermon and then gathering at the, at the table for communion and then having the fellowship of believers and, and opening uh, our voices to sing. All of those things have this 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 heart-shaping quality to them because we're reminding ourselves what, what is ultimately of value, what is ultimately important, that we live in a culture that, that sometimes the corporate world is a really hard place to have our hearts properly aimed. We have all of these things, and so we gather just on a regular weekly rhythm every seven days. Let me go and just once again declare my love for God, allow his love to soak over me. Let me sing songs about that. Let me hear a sermon that can kind of point me in a right direction, that can aim or, or steer my heart. Let me gather at the table where I can once again remember that Jesus Christ has died for me, his blood was shed for me, and I can remember that his, of his sacrifice for me and that ultimately he is making all things new. Like that is this rhythm, this practice that shapes your heart every single time you're here. The other thing that, that I would submit to you as, as, a, as a habit to properly form and aim and shape your heart so your heart changes so that you can change is to pray written prayers. That coming from somebody who grew up in the evangelical church. But I want you, I want you to think about what are some written prayers that you can pray that will properly form and shape your heart because left to your own, listen to this, left on your own, your prayers will be a reflection of your disordered heart and your disordered desires. Which is a way of saying that if, you, if your heart is greedy, you will pray greedy prayers. If your heart is selfish, you will pray selfish prayers. And so a lot of times prayer, if we, if we really haven't had, if we really haven't allowed prayer through written prayers uh, to shape us and form our hearts, when we just go to God, we, we may be spiraling deeper and deeper into our own brokenness. And so I want you to, to practice and just find some prayers that you can pray. The Book of Common Prayer is a great resource for written prayers that are meaningful. One of the things we've tried to do very recently in our home is, is try to redeem mealtime prayers, right? Mealtime prayers. Lord love them. <laughs> you just kind of feel like, is it even worth doing, you know? Uh, is, does the food taste better if you pray for it? I'm not sure. Um, and, and so we've really tried to redeem that time. And so in one of the written prayers that, w- that we've been praying uh, in the morning, we found this little section that we felt like was a great mealtime prayer. Uh, and it goes like this. It says, Oh God, give me such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but also with our lives, that we would give ourselves over to your service. 
We feel like that's a great thing to do just before our meal because first of all, Lord, give us such an awareness of your mercies, your, your gifts, your graces, uh, all, the, all the good things that you have poured out on our life. Give us such an awareness of those things that we will show forth your praise, but not only with our lips, but God, also with our lives as we give ourselves over to your service. And so now in our evening meal, uh, we don't do it every meal, but in our evening meal, we pray that prayer together as a family. And it's just a way of, of forming and shaping our hearts and redeeming that sort of mealtime prayer. And so I would just say, go somewhere, find written prayers that are, that are good theology that you can pray that will help form and shape your heart so that when you go to pray, uh, just your own words, the fancy word for that is extemporaneously. So when you go to pray extemporaneously, you're not just praying selfish prayers or greedy prayers, but you're praying uh, with a heart that has been truly shaped and changed. The other thing that I would mention to you is uh, what I thought was so beautiful about uh, Taylor's storytelling testimony. What was it? It was something like that. Uh, it was all those things, I think. Um, but it was, it was just this, this continual recurrence of community and, and how God took her from sort of a lone duck of I can just do this on my own to I, I need to be in community with people. And, and the truth is, church, that for us personally to change we have to be, our life has to intersect in a meaningful way with the lives of other people. And I don't just mean like you go to work and there's a crowd there. I mean that your life is intersecting with other people in a meaningful way. That's when true change happens. It's the habit of gathering together and, and together challenging one another, encouraging one another, talking about truths and, and scripture and, and, and the nature of God, the character of God, all of those things that are properly aiming our hearts, aiming our hearts toward a, toward a proper goal, which is love for God. Listen, if we want to change, our hearts have to love what God loves. That's the way to change. And so we, we, we look at this progression. What do we want to change? Then we look at why do we want to change? Is my motivation really to just bring honor to God uh, through, my, through my life and then to live more properly into my identity in Jesus Christ? Then how am I going to do that? I'm going to do that through the power of properly aimed habits. That's how my heart changes. I'm going to participate in rhythms and rituals that form and shape my heart. And then, of course, we're going to ask the Spirit of God to change our vision of what the good life is. Because if we're really honest and we picture the good life, sometimes the very thing that we are trying to change is present in that picture. And we think, oh man, the good life, the best kind of life is a life where this is still hanging around. We're gonna talk about more about that next week, but um, just asking the spirit to be involved in that whole process. What we're doing is we are not changing by doing this. We are participating in the Spirit's work in changing us. We're participating in the Spirit's work as he changes us. And so your challenge this week is to commit yourself to rhythms and practices that will shape your heart to desire what God desires.